welcome to the ACOP Student Podcast, a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the ACOFP podcast, DOFM. This podcast will focus on leadership and what it means for DO students and residents to obtain leadership positions in medicine. My name is Alana, and I'm a member of the Public Relations Committee of the National ACOFP team. I'm a fourth-year medical student at Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine. Today, I'm so excited to be talking with Dr. Jennifer Gwillem. Dr. Gwillem received her Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine degree from the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine in 2003. She completed a family medicine residency and is board certified by the American Osteopathic Board of Family Physicians. Dr. Gwillem is an assistant professor of family medicine at OUHCOM, where she is the chair of the student selection committee. Dr. Gwillem is an assistant dean of clinical education for the Southeast Ohio campuses of OUHCOM. Dr. Gwillem is a member of the American Osteopathic Association, the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians, and the Ohio Osteopathic Association. Dr. Gwillem is a health policy chair for the OOA, and she served as a trustee for the OOA for many years. Dr. Gwillem is currently president-elect for the OOA and past president for the Ohio ACOFP. Dr. Gwillem has served on the AOA Committee on Osteopathic College Accreditation since August of 2014, and has been a member of the executive committee and chair of the Committee for College Accreditation Training. Dr. Gwillem also serves on many committees for the National ACOFP. Dr. Gwillem served as a voting member of the Ohio Medicaid Pharmaceuticals and Therapeutics Committee for greater than five years. Dr. Gwillem has completed the AOA Health Policy Fellowship, Residency Director Fellowship Program, the Costin Leadership Institute Fellowship, and the Administrator Leadership Development Program. Due to her extensive experience in leadership, I wanted to invite her to share her experience. On a personal note, Dr. Gwillem serves as my coach in the Rural and Underserved Scholars Pathways Program at Ohio University. She has served as a mentor throughout my time in medical school and has given me valuable advice as I have worked to form my own path in medicine. So I'd like to introduce you all to Dr. Gwillem. Thank you, Alana, for that wonderful introduction. And it is an honor to be here today to speak on a topic that's near and dear to my heart, which is leadership. Yeah, and I'm happy to have you here today, too. So let's just go ahead and jump right in. So I was wondering if you could tell the audience about your journey to where you are today and why you picked family medicine. Sure. So, you know, when I was in medical school, I enjoyed everything. Um, So I had a really hard time narrowing down exactly what I wanted to do. And every time I'd go on a family medicine rotation, it felt like that was home for me. You know, I really enjoyed having the continuity with patients. I also enjoyed seeing patients, um, numerous patients, from different um, generations in the same family. You know, sometimes you'd have grandma, daughter, daughter, and then granddaughter in the room. Um, So I really love that aspect. I also like the aspect of doing procedures. Um, I really enjoy dermatology. So I I perform a a lot of dermatology procedures. Um, I also like looking at EKGs. So it really gave me the ability to use my breadth of knowledge that I had learned in medical school. So really, from birth to death, that's really what inspired me to do family medicine. And that seems to be a common thread for people in family medicine interested in a little bit of everything. And 
one of the, the things that I was reading in your bio, you were involved in so many different things. How did you become involved in all of these different things? So I think my leadership stemmed um, probably started about 10 years ago. I'll be honest, when I was a medical student, I was very reserved, very quiet, um, probably maybe even lacked a little bit of self-confidence at that time. And 10 years ago, um, when I actually started working at the university and teaching medical students, I actually was fortunate enough to um, be nominated to participate in the Health Policy Fellowship, which is a fellowship that's very, um, it's very well respected throughout the DO community. At the time that I did the fellowship, it was actually sponsored by Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine and NYITCOM. Currently, um, AACOM is a sponsor of this fellowship. I can't say enough nice things about that program getting me started. Um, you know, learned how to lobby bills and got to go to the Senate and Congress in Washington, D.C. For a girl from Southern Ohio that grew up in a town of 3,500 people, you know, I was just in awe just being in these buildings. So really at that point, I think health policy is something that really was instilled in me. I also can't speak enough to the networking when you participate in these fellowships, because not only are you with people um, of your peer, but many other people throughout the country. So it's really nice to establish all these relationships. And really, I think that's what helps get you started in leadership, knowing people kind of throughout the profession itself. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you came from Southern Ohio, which is right here where OUH is our medical school. And in the beginning, you talked about developing confidence. Where does that come from? How does someone who is struggling with that, how do you build that, especially during your time in medical school where you're pulled by a lot of different demands and even in throughout residency, there's so many demands that just continue to get harder. Where does that come from? Yeah, you know, so for me growing up in Southern Ohio, um, I'm actually a first generation college student. Um, both of my parents always worked my entire life and my dad actually is a retired coal miner. So I came from very hardworking blue collar roots, but I think for the confidence piece, it took me a long time to develop that. Um, you know, for the four years in medical school, I was fairly quiet and always just kind of wanted to blend in as the wallflower. And then during residency, I started teaching students more and more and noticed that the program director kept putting students with me to kind of tag along in the office. So that I think instilled confidence in me that, okay, he's putting these students with me. So obviously I have something to offer. And then I think as, just as I've gone along and I interact more and more with colleagues, peers, traveling to conventions, um, being nominated and placed on committees, I think that has also helped. So it's not something I think that comes overnight. I do think it's a skill that you need to develop. Um, you know, one of my favorite quotes um, is a Walt Disney quote. Anybody who knows me knows I'm a huge Disney fan. And um, if you dream it, you can do it. So anytime I'm really down on myself and I think, oh, I don't know, I play that um, motto in my head and that instills in me, you know what, you can do this. I'm just as good as anybody else and, and I can do this. So I think if students, you know, kind of think that way about themselves, you know, obviously you're in medical school for a reason. There are a lot of people who apply to medical school. I chair the student selection committee. I can tell you that we 
we skim through a lot of applications. If you're in medical school, you deserve to be there. You're just as good as the person next to you. And I think that's important to remember. Not everybody's gonna be first in their class in medical school and that's okay. At the end, you're still gonna be a doctor and get to have this wonderful privilege of caring for patients. Yeah, that's very inspiring. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. One, You're welcome. One thing that you mentioned was you got started with the Health Policy Fellowship. For those that are interested in pursuing leadership positions and maybe don't know where to start, how do you find these positions that kind of best serve your talents? How do you figure out what those talents are to even pursue what you're interested in? I know most of our audience is interested in family medicine. So a lot of us come with kind of a base of a wide variety of interests. How do you narrow that down? Great question. Um, I will tell you, I used to not be so good at this and I used to kind of pick up everything. And then eventually you realize uh, you've got to pick and choose. So it's good to start out learning to do that um, and not maybe making some of the mistakes I've made. So I would say some of the best ways to do that are speak to your mentor. Um, you know, you and I, you said at the beginning, you and I meet numerous times and talk about different things. I think finding a mentor in medicine, even if students don't have a mentor, I can tell you that 99% of us physicians love to mentor students and meet with students because that's, you guys are the future of medicine. So I think finding a good mentor and that mentor can help maybe give you some of, um, the ins and outs and do's and don'ts of medicine. I also think that being a part of the AOA, all students are members of the AOA. I think looking um, you know, on the AOA's website, they have a special spot for students. I think the National ACOFP also has a very nice area there for students. I think going through there and seeing how you can get involved. Most of the medical schools have an ACOFP chapter um, some are more active than others. I get that. But I think trying to get involved in that fashion, um, speaking to family medicine physicians, I have been a member of ACOFP ever since I was a student and also the AAFP. Um, I think they're both wonderful organizations and they do a lot of the same things. So I think that's a great way um, also to get involved. They're always asking for students to do different projects. For example, there's um, currently, we've just sent out an email for the Leroy Rogers. Um, you know, that's a program that I'm actually going to be overseeing starting right now, actually, um, going forward. So for that piece, I think those are ways that you can get involved with family physicians. There are other ways you can get involved with the osteopathic profession as a whole. For example, the states. So looking at your state society, for example, the Ohio Osteopathic Association, we also have a nice um, spot on our website for students and ways that students can get involved with us, whether it be volunteering or giving lectures or poster presentations. So those are all great ways to get involved as a student. Great. And it sounds like there's so many things um, that I can pursue even now as a student and even transitioning into a resident. It sounds like in residency, the demands are going to be a little bit more difficult. Are there any of these resources that are also available for residents? Absolutely. So as a resident, you also are still a member of AOA and a member of the OOA. You really don't start becoming dues paying members until you're actually out of residency. Um, so you definitely should use, you know, even if you leave the state of Ohio, most of the states that I know of anyways have osteopathic um, homes. 
Um, some obviously are more, um, a little larger, depending upon how big your population of your DO, you know, your DOs are in the state. But, you know, Ohio definitely has a very strong presence in the state. Um, we lobby an awful lot of resolutions, um, and we present them not only at the Ohio Osteopathic Association House of Delegates, but then we also um, at the AOA House of Delegates. And many of those resolutions actually come from residents, things that are near and dear to your heart. Students are also very involved in that. So if you go on, especially our state website for Ohio, you can look on there how to write a resolution. Um, and this is not, as far as I know, password protected. So this will help you be able to write resolutions. That's fantastic. One of the things that you touched on was mentorship. And I know kind of in the beginning, both I introduced you as one of my mentors and um, Dr. Golem and I have been working together kind of throughout my time in medical school. In fact, even from the very beginning, we were kind of paired mentors of you, you, you were, you and I were assigned to each other and it actually ended up working out because we're very similar, um, you and I, how does one find a mentor even um, when you're not assigned kind of like you and I are, you talked about networking, where do students find those spaces and how do you pick the person that's kind of the best for you and can cheer you on throughout your time in medical school or residency? Great question. You know, I have had so many wonderful mentors throughout my career. Um, I couldn't even list them all for you. And it seems like you find those sometimes when you least expect it, you know, sometimes you'll just be in a lecture and somebody will lecture and you've got a question and you go up and ask them or you email them. And a lot of times they'll say, hey, come and meet me, meet me for coffee, you know, and you can form a relationship that way. Some are a little more sought out. So, you know, you may listen to somebody speak and be like, wow, that was really cool. And when that happens, you can always email that person and say, hey, could we meet up for coffee? Could we talk more about this? You know, even having mentors sometimes don't always have to be a physician. You can actually have mentors that are PhDs who've been around medical education for a very long time. Um, executive directors, if you're interested in any type of leadership within a um, certain group, sometimes the executive directors are also good people to link up with because they can pass you off to someone who would be a good mentor for you. So we think there's an awful lot of ways. I know most physicians love um, having medical students, love chatting with medical students, love being asked questions. So it's just a matter of approaching them. What I find sometimes are students, um, I think, are a little scared to maybe approach some people. They seem maybe unapproachable. And I have found that some of those people are the best mentors. So, you know, I dare you to reach out and ask somebody, hey, could we maybe go to coffee so we could talk about this? Um, you know, have a reason you want to meet with them. And a lot of times that's how you form some of your relationships. You know, some of my best relationships are people that I probably was super intimidated by. But once I actually got introduced to them, it turned out to be wonderful mentorship. And I'll tell you, many of my mentors I have had for at least 18, 20 years, and they're still mentors for me. That's so wonderful. It's a long time. So yeah, that yeah. is a, that is a, a long, long time. time. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that you and I, I feel like talk about a lot in our kind of like mentorship pairing is my challenges and struggles kind of throughout time in medical school. And there's different challenges that come with each year of medical school. 
one thing that I'm interested in hearing from you is about any resistance or challenges that you've met kind of on your path um, throughout medical school and even in these leadership positions. I think um, speaking to some of our female listeners, have you experienced any bias kind of on your on your path to leadership and obtaining all of these positions? Great question. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's a hindrance, but I will say that there certainly is still a small bias. Um, there are some patients I will go in the room and introduce myself as Dr. Gwillem, and I will see them do the full exam and be leaving the room and they'll say, okay, when is the doctor going to come in? Um, I don't think it's intentional. I think it's just, we still are in that mindset. Many people that males are doctors and females are not. I will tell you though, with student selection committee, I can tell you, we accept about 50% female and 50% male into medical school. So I definitely foresee that tide kind of swinging the other way that it's going to be more of a 50-50. Um, And depending upon what residency you're talking about, really, a lot of those residencies are going more female. I've read some studies, especially OB, um, a lot more females are going into OB right now. So, um, you know, so I think you get a little pushback there, but I'm not sure that it's intentional. As far as my leadership roles, you know, I've not really had any pushback or resistance there. Um, Very accepting of females. Um, I think it's a different culture, though, for us in medicine, because we are so accepting of everybody. I mean, that's what we take the oath for. You know, you don't take an oath to treat somebody based on their color, their race. You may be in an ER working and have to treat a prisoner who's a murderer. I mean, you can't really judge who you treat. So I think physicians on the whole are very supportive of everyone. Um, which I love because it's such an inclusive environment. So yeah, so I've really not had any pushback in my leadership roles, but I I am always happy to encourage, especially female medical students to get more involved. Yeah, that's, that's really great. And it's one of those things too, where it's great to hear from someone like you who is in all of these positions about um, the challenges and to even just address the bias and just to know that it is there. How about any bias related to being a DO? Have you experienced that at all from patients? You know, I have not. Every once in a while, I'll have a patient ask me what the difference is. Um, And, um, you know, I think being able to explain to them on a very, um, and I'm going to say elementary level, because we don't need to go into everything. But if you explain to them, I'm exactly like an MD physician, I went to medical school, I did a residency, but I can do this really cool stuff. And speaking to them about manipulation, sometimes they'll say, oh, so you're kind of like a chiropractor with medicine. And sometimes I say sort of, but I've had a lot more training and kind of going into it. But I've never had a patient say they wouldn't see me because I'm a DO. I have never faced any discrimination, even as a resident. Um, And I've rotated at several facilities um, that were predominantly MD back when I went through residency. So for example, children's hospitals and things were predominantly MD at that time. There was never a difference. I never felt that my work was subpar and I never felt that I had a lack of knowledge compared to my MD counterparts. 
So to this day, I, I think nothing of it. And I will tell you, the only thing that I see still is my name. A lot of times I'll get put with an MD on the end and the computer, like EMRs and that sort of thing. I actually got a check in the mail the other day and it had Jennifer Gwillem MD on it. I think that it, that has happened so many times. I kind of think nothing of it. Um, but that's probably the only place where I see the MDDO, but as far as other discrimination, I've had never had any issues, thankfully. Yeah, that's really great. And it's one of those things too, where, um, me as, as someone who's going to be a DO at the end of, of, uh, by this, by this summer, um, it's one of the things that I, um, am anticipating a, a, to being a challenge in residency. So it's great to hear that maybe it's not as, um, prevalent as I'm thinking it will be. And um, I'm a proud future DO. Um, so as those things happen, I, I know that I have been quick to correct people in terms of what my intended degree is going to be. Um, have you had to experience that too? Have you had to correct people in saying DO? I have. Um, and usually they apologize. They're very apologetic. And if you point them out, you know, like in your EMR and things and say, I'm actually a DO, they will change it. Right. Um, you know, again, I think I just keep looking at it as we're all physicians and we all take care of patients and have this wonderful opportunity. So I probably don't press it maybe as much as I need to, but you know, I've been a doc for a long time. So, you know, for me and I get it, and I'm obviously a very, very proud DO as well. Um, so I get that you guys are concerned about that. I think some residencies, you may still face some of that, um, well, I'm a DO, you're a DO, I'm an MD. I think family medicine, though, the wonderful thing about family medicine is we all work together. Just like I said, I've been a member of AAFP as long as ACOFP. I have friends on both sides of the fence, and there's never been an issue. Um, when drug reps come to visit, there's never an issue. So, you know, and I've worked in the ER, I've worked in urgent care, I've been a medical director at an STD clinic, so I've held an awful lot of titles throughout my career and just never uh, faced that kind of discrimination. Great. Yeah, great. I love that. Um, one of the things that I wanted to transition to is about your future role as president of the OOA, the Ohio Osteopathic Association. Can you talk about what that means for you and what that future role is and what you plan to bring to that position? Yes. Yeah. So super excited. Um, you know, it's been about a 10 year process to get there. Um, I've been a trustee for numerous years for the Ohio Osteopathic Association and then was asked to go on the executive board and working myself through the chairs. Um, I will be sworn in as president in April. And it's quite an honor, thank you, to represent um, all of the osteopathic physicians for the state of Ohio. Um, you know, this role represents every specialty and every DO, including every DO student, every DO intern, and every DO resident in the state. So it's a, for me, it's a huge honor. Um, some of the things I think that we do um, that probably um, carry the most uh, weight in the state are especially our lobbying efforts, um, resolutions. I'll be hopefully making more trips um, to the Senate and Congress um, and giving testimony on resolutions and amendments that are near and dear to our heart um, in the state of Ohio. 
we do have a lot going on, especially with COVID. Um, hopefully we're gonna see those numbers start to go down here soon. Other things that I'm responsible for in the state, we'll be having monthly meetings with the executive board. We then have quarterly meetings with our whole board of trustees and the executive board. And during that time, we travel to three different places throughout the state, which happens to be each of our Ohio University campuses. So we'll have one meeting in Cleveland, one meeting in Dublin, and one meeting in Athens. And when we have those meetings, at the end of those, um, we always invite the students to come for refreshments so that we can mingle with the students, talk with them, see what their issues are. We also this year had a wonderful town hall with some of the health policy students one evening. For about an hour and a half, we met, discussed some health policy issues, had a you know, write a resolution, um, that sort of thing. So I'm hoping to incorporate more of those into my year so that we can get more students involved. Because like you said, students want to be involved. They just don't know how to get involved. So I think us having more of a, um, a face for the students. We also sponsor the white coats that are given at white coat ceremony to all the incoming first years. Um, we do some presentations throughout the year at each of the academies. I also will speak at graduation. I will speak at White Coat. Um, so, you know, there's a whole litany of things um, that, you know, I'll be responsible for throughout the year, um, but super excited. Probably the biggest thing that I want to do is um, bringing in more members. We have a lot of um, DOs in the state who are not members of the Ohio Osteopathic Association. So I think I would like to um, try to entice more of those individuals to become members of the Ohio Osteopathic Association. And also, like I said, getting the students more involved and the interns and residents so that you guys see value so that when you're done with your residency, you'll become not only dues paying members, but active members. Because, you know, youth is where we are. If we don't have youth that come in and take place after me, you know, we crumble and fall apart. So we really need to get um, our younger people, not only in age, but in um, experience to step up the reins. You know, that's one of the most important things of being a good leader, I think, is having the ability to have people to step in to take our places when we're gone. That's so wonderful. You've talked about so many important things, especially things that I've been able to take advantage of as a student, especially getting a white coat. I've um, had the opportunity to um, do my own health policy um, fellowship, and I got to learn a little bit of that or have a primer in that. So it's really exciting to hear that in your position, you'll be doing that as well. Do you with all of these hats that you're wearing, are you still involved in patient care and how does your role change now? with the College of Medicine? Yeah, so great question. Um, I, I'm very involved at the university. Um, you know, I chair student selection. Um, I teach clinical skills. And then I'm also assistant dean for the third and fourth years for the Southern part of the state. I'm also on numerous committees that you've alluded to. And actually I'm doing two days of patient care a week. And I'm actually concentrating on skin diseases. So I'm actually working in a derm office currently doing a lot of derm procedures, skin checks, um, you know, catching a lot of melanomas, um, which I guess fortunately I'm there to do those examinations. So that's really where I'm going. 
it's nice because I do have the continuity. And again, I am seeing from birth to death. I see children um, and, you know, all the way up. I think the other day we had a 96 year old. So, you know, so I'm definitely still seeing that large spectrum. It's just, I'm concentrating more now on skin diseases. And it really fits in with everything I'm doing um, because it's just a couple of days a week. And that's something I can do a couple of days a week. I found that it was really hard to do continuity in a family medicine clinic um, two days a week because, you know, you need to be there to fill the prescriptions and answer questions. So for me to juggle everything I'm doing, it wasn't fair to the patient or fair to me. So I cut back a small amount of what I'm actually doing in practice. And that makes sense too. Um, it makes sense with everything that you have going on. And especially with all these positions that you have, it sounds like you're able to do a lot of different things and still manage to have that type of patient care anyways. So as we begin to, to wrap up, what final thoughts do you have for our student listeners? We've, we've talked about confidence and bias and leadership. Do you have any final thoughts or advice for our student listeners? Yeah, you know, I have to tell you, just remember that you're here for a reason. And I think that being a physician is probably one of the most life-changing things for me that I've ever experienced. I have had some of my best times being a physician and obviously some not good times, I'll be honest. You know, nobody wants to tell somebody they're dying. But I think the privilege that we have to provide that continuity of care and care to patients is something that's so special. And so few people get to experience what we get to experience. And I think just always keeping a positive outlook, I think that's important. I think um, not overextending yourself. So I think really prioritizing what you wanna be involved with. And I'm starting to get better at that. But I think sometimes we see so many shiny things, we wanna grab them all up at one time and you really don't have to. You can really pick and choose which shiny objects you wanna grab and hold on to and do what makes you feel good. You know, if you're on a committee and you don't feel good and you're not happy to go to the meetings, then don't do that committee, go to another committee. There are lots of ways to invest yourself in medicine. And I think just, you know, staying involved, I think is important. Um, you know, maybe one or two committees, not 10 or 12, like I was doing. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm getting better at picking what serves me and what makes me happy. Because after all, you know, happiness is what's most important for us. Dr. Willem, thank you so much. I just wanted to say thank you for taking your time to share your invaluable experience as a female leader, especially in osteopathic family medicine. Um, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day and happy new year to everyone. Thank you. And I want to say thank you to our listeners. Be sure to check in for future episodes of the DOFM podcast. The ACOFP Student Podcast is a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. To learn more about ACOFP, please visit www.acofp.org. Looking for more resources on OMT? Visit ACOFP's OM Teaching at www.acofpomteaching.com and ask your institution if they subscribe so you can have access to over 150 OMT videos and support materials.